Hello, I'm Justin Wheeler, and welcome to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. Welcome back, nonprofit friends. Nonstop Nonprofit has a whole new season ahead, and we're kicking it off with a compilation series loaded with live interviews from AFP Icon 2022. Hang out at our booth with us and talk to nonprofit's brightest stars about trends, impact, and the future of fundraising. As a bonus, we're capping this series off with the best clips from last season. So if you're new to the podcast, stick with us. You'll get all the goods in a fraction of the time. Episode one of our compilation series features Francesco Embershetti, Kashana Palmer, Summer Brock, and Jarrett Ransom. Let's dive in. It is your number one priority to ensure that your business can continue to deliver on its mission, whether it's this year, next year, and beyond. So we're creating this inclusive environment, building between diverse communities to ensure that our young people can thrive. I'm always so baffled when I when I do webinars. There's always somebody at the end who raises their hand and says, I'm the development director. Should I have access to the budget? I'm always like, yes, you've got to know that. The best thing you can ever do as a nonprofit leader is spend as much money as possible on your story then you're doing it wrong okay that is unacceptable and that is not the way to run a board the best thing that we can do is just raise as much money as possible and then give it to the people around the world if you're going to be sustainable you have to have a multi-channel strategy to reach all of these different generations of donors however they want to be reached one of the principal values that we carry as an organization is to lift grace over guilt and we believe that grace is the greatest agent for change that anyone can can ever experience. We all need each other in terms of other nonprofits working together to solve things. The more nonprofits can give their donor base that experience of the impact that's being made on the ground level, there's nothing else you have to give someone. This is Nonstop Nonprofit. In our first segment, Francesco Ambrosetti, UNICEF's Principal Advisor of Innovative and Alternative Finance for Children, gives his take on the importance of donor engagement and global growth through financial innovation. Francesco, thank you so much for joining the podcast this morning. For having me. Absolutely. So before we jump into uh, some of the topics today, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you do at UNICEF? Yes, I was, um, until a few weeks ago, the supporter engagement lead worldwide, so substantially coordinating the experience of our donors, volunteers, and social media followers. And in a couple of weeks ago, I've been just moved to being the director of Innovative Finance for Children. It's a new broad area that includes mainstream investments, so all the ETFs, mutual funds, bonds, but also all the new modalities include crypto and NFTs. Okay. So I do want to talk about, about that, but maybe we'll go back to your, your uh, old role first right. um, to talk about donor experience. Right. Um, how much of a priority do you think nonprofits need to be putting on experience for their donors, supporters, volunteers? You know, I mean, it was a, your job. So obviously UNICEF prioritizes it. Um, but why is this so important today? Well, it is important in general. Let's put it like that. Commercial world is obsessed about uh, improving the experience, you know? Every yep. time you buy, download, go to a concert, the first thing you got, how was the experience from one to 10? How, how often you recommend to your friends? And why do you do that? Yep. Because that's your single source of growth. You're not growing acquiring new customers or you know offering better price. You're acquiring because you get a bunch of loyal 
customers. It's the problem with Netflix now that they found out that actually their customers are not that loyal. <laughs> so in no-profit sector, as you know, we are very good in acquiring because it's easy. It's a transactional. I can just uh, repeat this transaction, ask you to do more, and so on. But as a cost, and as you can see, all that point that our retention is terrible. Yeah. So it costs so much more to acquire a donor than to retain it. So in the previous role, the idea was, can we embrace this customer experience culture? And it's a struggle. It's a struggle because, you know, it's, it's a different way to measure. It's a long-term investment, uh, but it's definitely yield much more, more money. Just to give you one data, uh, when we start measuring uh, those donors, they say they are satisfied of the experience they do and they are committed, these two indicators are leading to a much better lifetime and retention of donors. So it just if you start bothering asking and measuring, then you're gonna start to see the change. Yeah, are you, is there a specific tool that you're using to actually me measure that feedback from the donors? We do through surveys okay. uh, and in different shape and forms. Uh, and then uh, we plugged in into our CRM. Okay. But uh, it's not that spread. We just started first, and this is across all Latin America. There's like 15 markets. It clearly just lead indicator. So it's a survey yeah. at the beginning of sign up or through telephones when, when uh, we start to welcome donors. And then we just keep uh, measuring back after, potentially after each experience. Yeah, it makes sense. In, um, at Fundraise, we measure sort of customer satisfaction. Uh, yeah, it's called net promoter score, right? right? Like how likely are you to, to you know, promote Fundraise? And it's, it's an indicator. It doesn't necessarily mean the customer is gonna uh, you know, stay loyal or remain loyal. At the end of the day, like their needs have to be met. Right. Um, and, and so I'm curious, is there like, how do you aggregate, when I mean, you survey individual donors, is there some sort of like scoring mechanism that you use to kind of aggregate uh, and score your entire donor base? Or is this more like an individual level that you, you look at? Well, look, first of all, this give me opportunity to uh, shamelessly say that in my book, that is called Octone of Filling, <laughs> uh, I, there is a part that is devoted how to measure and what um, makes a difference. So net promoter score is one of them. As you know, it's been heavily criticized yeah. in terms of predictivity. But my point is, if this sector will embrace some sort of measure, it's better than nothing. Yes. So our system is pretty simple because it's, it's uh, one to five level of commitment, one to five level of satisfaction. And then it, it ends up basically being four quadrants. People that are highly committed, high satisfied, low committed, low satisfaction. And each of them, apart from being a scorer, is automated uh, an action, which that's what is important thing. So because... There are different people. People that are highly satisfied and high commitment, they deserve a t certain type of care. Yeah. People that bother to tell you that they are not satisfied, they require immediate action mm. and feedback. So it's pretty simple, but very effective in terms of predictability and, and actionability, yeah. which is, for me, what is the a system should be. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, organization, uh, your guys' size, you know, you lots of donors, lots of records. Um, and so I would imagine that there's a very strong emphasis uh, from a culture perspective of, of systematizing and operationalizing these types of things. Um, up to a point. Up to a point. <laughs> <laughs> but first of all, we are extremely decentralized organization. So every, we call it national committees, uh -huh. independent and 501c3. So like, uh, and then we have our country offices. They are the one based in emerging markets. So there's a very spread level of um, sophistication. And so, and also a lot of jealousy to not share much data for privacy reasons. Yeah. So we, we definitely not there. We try to inspire and benchmark as much as we, we care, uh, we, we want. 
Um, again, I mean, for me, culturally, for the size of UNICEF, I would like to say that we are just there, but we know we still on a transaction base. Don't yeah. forget, yeah. like all the sector. It's easy to acquire a new donor, charging, um, asking a braid. We are still in that mentality. So that part is relatively new. Okay. Um, and so in terms of systematization, I'm, I'm glad that we now approve, like I said, 15 countries in, in Latin America, same operation that now can just say, okay, what is the score of commitment and satisfaction? How is this connected to the lifetime value or the, or the value? This is already a good story. Yeah. Moving that globally, it's a different story. It's a lot of resistance. Local yeah. chapter don't like global <laughs> systematization. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, one more question on this topic, then we'll move on. Can you point to like a single maybe like strategy that has increased retention? Aside from just measuring sort of like the satisfaction of, of your donors. Is there something specific that UNICEF has done uh, to beat the, just the terrible retention rates that the industry uh, has become accustomed to? There are many things. Again, my book has more example uh, on this, especially from UNICEF, because I was, before this role, I was also the director of fundraising and marketing in UNICEF in Italy. Um, and, you know, you'd be surprised, but one of the single uh, leading um, uh, retention indicators has been uh, a birthday call. So uh, we start calling donors, scoring them, of course, based on their potential, and making a simple call to say, special day, you're important for us, happy birthday. If, if you compare two groups, same size, same story, same level of giving, this group that received the birthday call has five times lifetime value, five times uh, retention. Wow. And so we, we just mainstream. Sounds simple. Yeah. But that's how we beat the competition if you want with a single vertical or and, WhatsApp. And do you do you use your own team for those calls? Yeah. Do you okay. Wow. That's that's a I mean that's that's amazing. Five uh five X uh, better retention. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Um okay, so you're sitting on a new team. Right. Um, talk to us a little bit about the new what the new role looks like and what you're excited about in uh in this role. Well, it, it is very exciting. I mean, I've been sort of uh doing this double role in the last few years because I've been my my Estereo has been like, I mean, what we do and philanthropy is great, but us is limitation, right? Um, how much um, people you're going to convince to give money? And if you look at the data, very few. Mm. <laughs> we haven't <laughs> grown the pie, you know? And, yeah, and yeah. You can see from every angle, but yeah, yeah. still, you know, that number of people. And out there, there is a trillion of money that goes everywhere. Spy ship, uh, spaceships uh, uh, and, and acquiring Twitter or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Uh, startups that fail miserably. That resources would be desperately needed to us, yeah. right? Because mm. unless you're going to say that, you know, finding a cure for cancer or eliminated poverty is less important than acquiring Twitter or going to the, to the space, right? Yeah. So how come that we are so limited? And this is Dan Palota, if you remember, oh, yeah. one of these points is, we undermine ourselves. There is a big lock on trillions dollar capital market that we cannot access because we cannot reward. So if somebody gives you money, we cannot reward it. Mm. Uh, we cannot take the, the risk in taking the money if we lose them. And so we just literally just rely on the money we raise. Right? Yeah. How much money are you going to raise to fundraise? Depends how much you raise. If you raise that much, you can get that much. It's, it's simple. We're not growing. So my new role that is called uh, Innovative Finance for Children is trying to just say, how can we get the capital markets um, and all these trillions of dollars really make a difference for children in our case? And this is not going to be writing checks or giving online. This is going to be financial products. That means somebody will going to give the money expecting some return, mm. some reward, and taking some risks. Yeah. Um, 
And so, so do Unicef. So if you want to do that, you have to just give some reward <laughs> and take some risks, yeah. right? It's, it's a mix. And so in this, we are, is a big area that means uh, mainstream investments that are products that today, you know, our 401k is invested in, uh, ETFs, mutual funds, bonds, uh, and um, all the new breeds of crypto and, uh, and, and NFTs that is completely new separate um, world. So all these things is like, can, can we just match? And you know, why we do that? It's not because it's fancy, it's new, it's cool. Um, because number one, it can be, can be substantially accelerate what we do. Yeah. One thing is just say, I need $4 billion to eliminate poly from the world. It, how long is it gonna take to raise $4 billion? And one thing is just say, well, the market can give me $4 billion and I'm gonna pay back in 10 years. Yeah. So we can accelerate, we can grow what we do today. One thing is just say, I need this thing to enlarge my service. Uh, and third, I can really innovate and take some risk, right? Sometimes that, you know, things that we cannot do because God forbid fail, yeah. I can maybe do with the market. So this is a, is a new area uh, of, uh, uh, of work uh, with a lot of resistance again, yeah. as you can imagine. Yeah. But it's pretty cool. Uh, in, in regards to the, like, getting more access to the capital markets, um, would you would you consider also like debt in, in there as, as a vehicle? 100%. Yeah. And in fact, I mean, I cannot reveal, I can reveal that we are now in, um, we have to ask to the General Assembly of the United Nations, because we are a UN body, yeah. to change the rule to take on debt. Because that's the most single, yeah. you know, it's it, like, you imagine, you know, for me, it's, it's incredible that, um, yeah, every company grow through yeah. debt, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And we don't. Yeah. <laughs> we it's, don't. It's, you know, it, it's, it's actually, um, it, it, this is a, a super fascinating, something I'm really interested in as, as um, because, I mean, you know, my, I started Fundraise uh, and we've raised equity, we've raised debt. Um, without those, we wouldn't be where we're at today. We wouldn't have scaled and, and hit that growth. And, and so like I've gone down this line of thinking that how do we make access to these capital markets uh, easier for nonprofits, right? Because right. nonprofits are looked at, especially smaller ones, as like high risk. And so it's, it's, it's super interesting that you guys are kind of pioneering this pathway. Yeah, and so, so um, again, last year, one uh, I think I'm gonna talk in my session, um, I managed to launch the first ever bond, which is the debt, yeah. 100 million through Citibank and World Bank. Uh, and this bond, the proceeds, will, will go to fundraising in emerging markets. So Thailand, Uruguay, Brazil, South growth. So Interesting. The interesting part is, is a no recourse bond, means there's no guarantee to the investors other than the money we're gonna raise ah, in five years. Yeah. Which is a risk. They yeah. take a risk. Yeah. Uh, the reward is the impact because, of course, every dollar we're going to invest, they're going to make at least three. So it will be three times the impact. For UNICEF, is $100 million that otherwise we would have taken from the budget. So, you see, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, why you want to use your grant money to grow while the market yeah. and the market bring you a new breed of investors that maybe yeah. can also consider to become your donor. Interesting. So in, in 10 years from now, where do you see this, this sort of uh, uh, concept going? Do you think that this becomes more accessible to nonprofits? Do you think it become investors start getting more interested in investing, looking at nonprofits as investment opportunities, not just philanthropic opportunities? Uh, they already do. Uh, is that there are no many opportunities? There are billions of dollars, trillions of dollars that people say, "Can I invest? I'm happy to take a risk." Tell me how many bonds 
you know that non-profit has on the market. Tell me how many ETFs non-profit has in the market that the investor can, can do. So investors are there, we are not there. Uh, I think it's a sort of Darwinian uh, process, if I can say, because just those that dare to get there will survive if you, if you want to grow, yeah. if you want to grow. And the same for the startups. I, I really hope a new breed of startups will come with this concept. Yeah. Um, and what I see in 10 years, I really see to, to really see mo more the financing of all this that needs acceleration, needs growth coming from the market. They also bring more discipline, brings more risk. But also, I really, my, my ultimate dream is, is to have a stock market or being in a stock market uh, because uh, in the end, our cause deserve that be you know owned and financed by the public. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's that's what I, I I think we should go. Yeah, one more question, and then uh, I have a few rapid fire questions mm. for you. Going back to donor experience um, and sort of the risks that you're you you know the perceived risks or not perceived the real risks that you are taking uh, on um, on the, in the capital markets. Do these things ever conflict? Do donors when donors learn about this? Does it scare them away? Do they think it's it's not wise? Have you guys had to interact or course correct there at all? With, with to donors? be honest, I mean, um, at least my experience has been is more internal. Okay. Internally, yeah. you got oh my god, this is not right. This is not ethical. <laughs> it's all internal debate. Yeah. We haven't got any one single donor that complain. Okay. Um, also, because the donors support Unisys, so if transparently I say this will your money will be generating three times more yeah uh, basically no risk why the donor should be again i don't think there is actually uh, a backlash it's very much an internal debate uh and from the investor point of view um they, they wanted to they won't invest in us uh they are just uh scared that we are so against yeah risk we are so against rewards they are we are making so much deal um so i don't i don't see a donor backlash in that quite a contrary actually it's our donors internal. could be yeah. could also invest in our project right yeah, yeah can donate totally but also can just say why don't your etf your 401k is invested in our mission yeah it's capital is protected and you help us advance yeah actually i did think of another question that is something i've thought a lot about and at one point you know charity water did uh so obviously working the nonprofit, you know you're typically sacrificing uh, compensate on the compensation side and no upside, right? No upside. Like you could, you could solve poverty and not benefit at all from, fr from that. That's I think right. that needs to change Absolutely. because it brings the right talent to the organization when there's upside and when there's, when there's better compensation. Um, do you think we'll ever get to a point where working in a nonprofit could be comparable to working in a for-profit, uh, like a startup or a company where you can get equity in? Do you think that we will ever see uh, the nonprofit community uh, in in that way, so that nonprofit employees can share in the upside and share in and that potential future uh, growth? Um, uh, as the uh, the honest answer is I don't know. I see a lot again of internal resistance of a yeah. culture. It's the same. Dan Palotta say the same, right? One or the other article. We cannot attract talent because we cannot pay them. Right, well, we should pay them more because we are solving much bigger problem <laughs> yeah. than uh, we work, just to mention, yeah. right? Uh, but totally. So, um, can we get there? I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, as it is, the sector today is very much, I mean, look at the salary they're proposing, you know, and, yeah. and, and 
Uh, I, I, we have a uh, problem in attract. You know, in my era, this highly sophisticated finance and digital, we have problems in attracting talents because obviously, yeah, we're not competitive enough. Yeah. Um, so um, I think it's part of the same uh, mentality and culture. Um, I think it's harder to change that part comparing to the at least they they understanding engaging with the market get some money this is will be easier than changing this uh, reward mentality um, uh, but um, it's part of the same it's part of the same obstacle yeah. exactly so how can you engage with the with in a financial space digital space if you cannot attract the right talent yeah yeah, it's tough. It's a t it's a tough, and I often say many times nonprofits have to operate with two hands tied behind their back. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 hard to, to scale. It's hard to grow, and and even more hard to retain great employees because of how competitive it has gotten you know, in, in the workforce. Absolutely. All right, a few more rapid fire questions. Right. There's no wrong or right answer here. Um, I'm just gonna ask some questions, and you just uh, you just respond to them. Um, movies or series? Personally, yeah. Do you like movies or uh -huh. series better? <laughs> oh, series. Series. Um, tacos or cheeseburgers? Oh, that's very American. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> tacos. Tacos. Uh, the beach or the mountains? Beach. Beach. All day, every day for me. Digital reading or an actual book? Uh, digital reading. Digital reading? Okay. Uh, ice cream or Froyo? <laughs> also very American. <laughs> Ice cream. <laughs> or gelato. 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 gelato, gelato, gelato okay. uh, football or football? Football mean American football or soccer? Uh, so uh, football would be American football. Football with a U would be... Uh, soccer? Yeah. Soccer. Soccer. Uh, and then... Actually, that's all I got. That's all okay, I got. great. Sorry, a couple of those were too American, but uh, <laughs> thank you for participating. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank <laughs> awesome. You. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Next up... We've got Kashana Palmer, a nonprofit leadership expert, keynote speaker, and fellow podcaster, gives her take on how technology is going to factor into the future of nonprofit leadership and sings a little bit of Disney. Kashana, thank you so much for stopping by the fundraise uh, booth and talking shop. Always a good time when we get together. I know. I can't mm -hmm. believe it's the first time we've met in person. I know. But I, I blame the pandemic for that. That's it. But this ends today. So it now does. when I find myself on the West Coast, I'm going to be like, hello. What are we doing? Absolutely. There we'll you show, are. We'll show you a good time in, in LA. That's what we I will. like. So a few questions sure. for you. Let's do it. Maybe before we jump into uh, the juicy stuff, mm -hmm. uh, just give us a, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're thinking in, here in 2022, just as it relates to nonprofits, yeah. fundraising. Yeah. What are some of your, the things that you're most excited about, uh, either iterating on top of yeah. or working with your clients? So what I see right now happening has been so curious to me is that like we talked coming into the pandemic about the leadership shift that was supposed to be happening. Folks were retiring, folks were stepping down from their roles. And so we were supposed to see this big leadership shift. And because of the pandemic, folks were like, hold on a second. Wait a minute. Let me stay in place. Let's figure this thing out. And so what I'm seeing now, um, particularly with my clients around talent, is that folks are starting to shift again back into like, OK, I'm ready to step down. I'm ready to transfer leadership. Who am I transferring leadership to? Who needs to be in the leadership seat? And so really helping folks to understand how to navigate the changes and that younger professionals who are coming into the sector are coming in with more education hmm. earlier on. They're credentialing earlier on. Um, they are more tech savvy. 
and um, excited about leveraging technology to do their work and wanting to align with organizations that are moving in more of an innovative way as opposed to in a catch me if you can and catch up kind of way. So those are some of the things that I'm seeing right now with organizations and the work I do. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen something similar. And what, what, I, what I've really liked is aside from like the fundraising and the marketing, yeah. seeing organizations actually like uh, really leveraging technology for their programs. Yep. Um, we're talking to an individual earlier who uh, they delivered like uh, goods and services across the world, and, and during COVID they couldn't they couldn't do that. Yeah, uh, and so they started using drones to drop yeah. off these goods and services. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, really really cool. And so my hope is that this this type of innovation will continue just to accelerate uh, because I think it's going to make stronger, more successful uh, organizations. Absolutely, and I think that organizations who make the choice so this one is now a choice to not let and I would say leverage technology. And there's things that are tech enabled and there are things that are tech activating in order to be able to do their work in order to be able to exercise and activate mission are going to get left behind yeah. and i think that we just don't have the luxury of doing things the same old same old anymore absolutely so uh, regarding going back to like the leadership pipeline yeah going back maybe i think it's been two years yeah um, it the, feels like forever it does feel like forever <laughs> yeah. and being in person again it feels like it's like hard to be like how do you be social? Like, yeah. I kind of forget how to be social. But the question about the leadership pipeline is, it seems like it's a prime opportunity for organizations in 2020 following the death of uh, George Floyd. That's right. Where we, you know, talked very aggressively about DEI initiatives. Woo! And, it was so aggressive. <laughs> and Warm made big, bold statements. And big mandates. statements. Bold statements. And so you think that with a leadership sort of transition, that this would be a great opportunity to yeah. uh, really embrace some of those actions. Have you seen that actually manifest? Mm -hmm. Have you... Are we moving forward? Have we moved backwards? What's your perception? I, mean, I think that we're moving backward, or at least okay. in quicksand, and here's why. What I saw and what I saw in 08 when we had the uh, market crash the last time was that uh, folks of color, and particularly black women, and I identify with that because I'm, I'm a black woman, are typically moved into positions of power at a time of real crisis and then are under-resourced, have helicopter runways to fly 747s, and we call that the glass cliff. And so you're in a situation where you get this transfer of power, hmm. but you get this transfer of power without runway or without the purse. And so what I'm seeing right now is as organizations are trying to figure out like what's next, folks who were put into those positions in a manner of crisis who weren't successful for many of the reasons that success is subjective, but who weren't successful are sort of being blamed like, well, you know, we, we could have done something different. And so people have this reticence in being able to actually really step out and do the kind of recruitment, do the kind of scaffolding, do the kind of succession planning that would actually make true some of the promises that foundations and institutions and organizations and tech firms and so forth made during the height of, uh, I call it freshman year of the pandemic, particularly um, around protests with Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. So what I would like to see is organizations not just throw stuff at the wall and hope something sticks, mm. but to actually resource the process of being able to make sure that when there's transitions of power, that they're done so really thoughtfully. And if you're gonna operate from an equitable approach, understanding that you have to resource it to do it and it takes time and to align with professionals who can help you do that. Are there any organizations or companies that you look at that are like, they're doing it right? They're, they're a good poster child or uh, a good organization to at least learn from that's yeah, been that's highly a effective? Question. I feel like a lot of the affiliated organizations are trying their best. So I look like a, I look at a CIS communities and schools. Um, I look at what the Boys and Girls Club are doing. So the reason I'm looking at these federated larger models because that to me from a footprint 
perspective, have lots of different smaller organizations in different populations and parts of the country where they have to um, answer to and address what the local climate is in addition to what the national organization mm. is doing. So I'm seeing a lot more learning and development money being put into federated organizations. I would love to see smaller organizations get more press. And so the reason you asked that question, I was kind of like, hmm, immediately I can think of two or three large organizations that come to mind, but they have more money for branding to be able to say, look at me, this yeah. is what I'm doing. And so smaller organizations who might be doing really amazing work, if they're not getting the press behind what it was a necessary shift in business, um, we wouldn't know as much about. So I got to think about that because I feel like there are probably lots of organizations that folks will be like, and this one, when they hear this, and this one, and this one. And I'm like, did you get press on that one, though? Yeah. So that's something that my team, as we do more leadership and management coaching and training this year, are really working on is what is the research and what does that look like for the organizations that are really doing best in class work. Okay. And are, are your clients, are they exclusively nonprofits or, or do you work with for-profit companies as well? No, actually my smallest percentage of clients at Kashana & Co. right now are nonprofit. Okay. Um, so I work with, on the nonprofit side, large, federated, um, complexed, matrixed organizations. Um, and so if you have affiliates, if you have spinoffs, if they're separate 501c3s, networked organizations typically is where I stand in institutions. But most of my work actually, believe it or not, are in tech firms, in fintech, and in cannabis. Oh, interesting. Isn't that crazy? Okay, yeah. And so but a lot of them want to do like CSR work. They want to get into social good. They want to make sure that they are diversifying their teams alongside their values in a really healthy way. Because I come from a fundraising background and I raise money for social ventures, which are like fast growth. You have to get in and, you know, um, make sure you're leveraged really early. A lot of my donors were from the VC world, et cetera. So because I have that background, then I get hired to do like sales training and stuff like that. And my team does. So it's been a natural shift. Yeah. Yeah. to move into that work and been so much fun. Is uh, any like any a key sort of differences between working with like a nonprofit and some of your for-profit or tech cl clients? The like speed at which people move and the cash they have to move it. Mm. And so a lot of times, depending on like, so I work with folks who done, have done either on their second round of raising, um, they've moved on from their initial raise um, or they are more stable and they're starting to move into more mezzanine funding for how they're being capitalized. And so I noticed that they'll hire lots of bright people, but they may not necessarily have the experience time on the ground um, or they are switching um, or they're straight out of school there's something there like in that sort of skill experience mix that's not quite right and so money moves things right yeah. I, I read a quote who said this quote um, I think it's a guy who wrote the book who not how oh yeah uh, um, it, it's just oh, I'm having a brain not fart cynic. not cynic um, no 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 not, not, not cynic ah, it's gonna come to you in the shower uh, watch it's okay so the quote though is yeah. um, best I paraphrase it like if you have money to solve a problem you don't have a problem huh. and what stuck with me I don't always think that's always true but what sticks with me in that is that what I've seen in terms of the difference between nonprofit organizations who are not as well resourced and working with fintech and tech firms who are is the speed at which they're able to try to solve a problem interesting and they're like how much is it gonna cost like that's the question that I get them on how much yeah how yeah. long how many uh, with nonprofits, I have to talk about mission alignment in a different kind of way and make the case in a different kind of way. And so I, it feels like, it may not be true, but it feels like working on the corporate side of folks, folks are more apt to move because they're trying to grow. Yeah, yeah. You know, I so I agree with the quote 
but you were like, also right. so you disagree like, with it. Well, this is like, because yeah. um, so uh, the MacArthur Foundation did like a really interesting research on yeah. the negative impact foundation grant making foundations have yeah. in communities. Yes, and it's because you know you have people in the boardroom making decisions where money's going. Yep, they control the money. Yep, but the people on the ground, whether it's the you know the community organizations and so forth, they're not actually you know they don't have much of a say and how where the funds is going to go. Absolutely, how it's going to be used. And so Absolutely. I think money solves the problem, but it's how is the money actually being facilitated? Yeah, is is. You That's know, exactly it. Who has access to the purse? Um, and I think, you know, there's, I used to always say that to my team, all money is not good money. Mm. This time's for us to say no. No, yeah. thank you. Oh, it's so nice. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> that we need to be able to do with yeah. folks. And so I agree with you in that nuance in that quote and what, what I took from it and what I continue to take from, particularly quotes where you're like, give a little side eye is that like what do I understand from what the situation is creating and I think that right now we're in a space in the sector and in folks who service the sector so the thing that has been such a transition for me is moving away from direct service and organizations do direct service to the companies that serve the sector yeah so I'm able to stay a subject matter expert in the work and also understand the business that happens that is a part of the ecosystem of the work yeah what's influenced your your niche, what you focus on uh, yeah. with your business, what would you say, is it just like the experience year after year kind of building it? Or is it, was there anything that like happened in your life that like was transformative that you're like, this is what I want to do. I want to invest my time and skill sets in. Gosh, I think that the thing that made me really focus on leadership and management specifically, and then really a lot on women in the work is that there are so many overlapping not so great things that happen to many women I know in the sector of everything from sexual harassment to discrimination around race, around gender, et cetera, to being maligned. And I was like, we got to do things better. And how many of us have not had a bad boss at like some point in our career? And I was like, we can do this better. Like yeah. this does not have to be trash. And so my lived experience alongside with my teams of experience and because I had the, the luxury to have large teams and also the gift to have large teams, I'm able to see how leadership can look when you allow folks to have to have room to grow and to be themselves yeah. and when you don't. Um, I think the other thing that's really informed my work right now, my company's work is if it's fun is one of our values, core values is on our website. Like if this is not fun, you can't come. Hmm. Like I am not interested in working with folks and having my team members work with folks where we cannot at the end of the day, even when the work is hard, we do a lot of uh, transformational work and change management. Like if we're not having a good time, what's, uh, the, point? This, what's the point? Yeah. What yeah. is the point? Life's too short. Life is too short and yeah. there's too much good work to be done. And so that has really driven my curiosity. I love that. Yeah. I love that. It's actually kind of a tangent, but side note is that's yeah. actually why we named, I named fundraise fundraise drop the D is because I felt like, like if so many nonprofits, like their fundraising development teams, yeah, they're like they like hide in a corner. Oh my gosh! You know, and it's just like, like oh, goes over is, there. This is opportunity. Like this is like the best part of the nonprofit industry, in my in my opinion, is, is raising funds. And I agree. Uh, so it should be it should be fun. All right, so I know this is about to start the main session here. Let's so what I want to do is this rapid uh, rapid fire Let's questions. Do it. All right, here we go. All righty, favorite movie or series? Oh my gosh, favorite movie of all time is Coming to America. Coming to America. Mm -hmm. Tacos or cheeseburgers? Cheeseburgers. Beach or the mountains? The beach. The beach. Me too. Digital reading or an actual book? Digital reading now. Oh, really? I know. I have an actual book. But I buy all the books. So I, okay. have, the, I have the physical okay. book for every digital book I have. Okay. But it's just, you just like, it's just easier to carry I on. listen yeah. first or read uh -huh. first. And if I like the book, then I go and highlight the physical book because that's how I memorize. Nice. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. I like that. Uh, ice cream or Froyo? 
Ice cream, man. Ice cream. I mean, if you're going to have gas, just have it. Just, be, just, be, <laughs> just enjoy it. Get the good stuff. That's true. That's true. That frozen yogurt's overrated in my I opinion. I mean, it really is. It's not that great. All right. Uh, this one's been a contentious one today, okay, so I hope you're ready. Football or football? Football. Yeah, right? So I think. Hello? Absolutely. And this one's, this one's kind of tough, too. Okay, I'm ready. Um, Moana or Aladdin? Oh. I'm an Aladdin girl. All right, you got to sing the song. <laughs> a whole new world. Uh, there, yeah, wow, there, there you go. go. Yeah, awesome. Is that the right one? Uh, uh, that was actually Little Mermaid. Damn it. Hold on. <laughs> I did that. No, I'm about to sing Beauty and the Beast now. That's my word. <laughs> I'm trying to run down every song, every and I'm like, song. still not the right one. Right, you you have a high schooler now. You know, That's you're, it. You're beyond the, That's the it. Disney Forget it. Yeah. I'm not watching Disney anymore. Kashana, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for appreciate having it. me. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I definitely, what is the right song? Um, so Aladdin is... It's 100% the song. Was it really? Oh my gosh. I was like, really? 100% the song. Wait, A Dang. Whole New World is Little Mermaid. <laughs> no. For the L- record, no, the Little Mermaid Kishana is... was right, Justin was no, wrong. No, Little Mermaid is, look yeah. at this stuff, isn't it neat? No, yeah. Right. yeah. You were, you were like, 100% right. Hello, I sang that <laughs> in choir in high school. Like, I was like... Summer Brock, VP of Development for the Pontiac Community Foundation, is in the next segment. Here she gives her take on getting rid of the nonsense in the donor-centric fundraising model. Summer, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. It's great to be back in person. Yes. I'm I'm hoping that my voice holds up because I did go to the iconic after party last Uh, night. uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. Did it get get wild? (laughs) It got wild. We left. uh, Once people started getting in the water, we were like, okay, it's time to go. (laughs) (laughs) We missed it. We missed the party. So you're, you're one of the speakers here. Talk to us a little bit about your your session and um, what, you, what you talked about. So um, I had the pleasure of presenting with uh, with my friend Mavita Burris a session on community centric fundraising and engaging your constituents through a an, and a, a lens of inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. You know, we just really drop some gems on you know how important it is to engage your community around not just your fundraising efforts, but um, how nonprofits just need to be moving to a more community-centric model of being informed by their community needs instead of deciding for, for people what services or, or things they need. So uh, aside from just like the, the actual like funding, it's what type of programs are needed in, in is, is, that, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, but we, we really um, focused our presentation on fundraising and okay. what fundraisers could do to sort of bring in the community and be a little bit more community-centric. Yeah. So it's really just about uplifting the, the values and the needs and hopes and desires of the people in your community. Um, and it's not um, about not being donor-centric, but about not being donor-centric at the expense of your community. Yeah, right? absolutely. Just prioritizing and leading with that community need. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Uh, there's a lot of conversation around, like, placing the donor as the hero. Yeah. And I, I've written quite a bit, actually, about... I, I actually don't like that. No. Um, I, don't I, like it. Yeah, Please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I actually think it's... The, the beneficiaries of the, of the work that are, are the heroes, the individuals overcoming the odds, you know, stacked against them. Yes. Um, and I, I, I hope that we can just get rid of the, that language because it's, I, I just think it's, it's just, it's just totally wrong. Yeah. And I think that's where the fundraising world is, is, is moving. Um, I've been doing this work for more than 20 years. 
So all of the literature, all of the data, anything you read that's sort of evidence-based is all based in donor-centric fundraising. But what it doesn't take into account is that there is no data on community-centric fundraising. So it, when you look at um, you know which works better, it's easy to say, oh, well, this is the proven model, right? Yeah. That we know this works, but we have to try something else to see if it can work as well. Yeah. And I think that's um, people are becoming more and more comfortable with moving towards that model because you know, when you say out loud that organizations that are built for the benefit of the community are not informed by the community, it doesn't so even make sense, right? Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> totally. Has, have, have you been met with a lot of friction uh, going down this path? Like, what are, what are some of the challenges that you're overcoming? Well, I think that um, before I got in my current role, um, I think that there was some friction, and I talked to fundraisers about it, and I even had internal friction myself, right, about moving 100% to this model because I felt like the donor world wasn't quite ready for the community-centric model, hmm. right? We've been doing something the same way for so long, yeah. um, and to expect that just because we're ready to change, the donors are ready, to me would be assumptive. So, um my sort of suggestion and how I've chosen to do this work is to always be continually thinking about how I can be more community centric in all of my fundraising tactics. So it's not a flip the switch and now I'm community centric. It's more of a baby step progression towards becoming more of a community centric. And I think that's the way we can bring our donors along with it. Got it. And as the VP of uh, Development at the Pontiac Community Foundation, t tell us a little bit about uh, the foundation and the work that it's doing uh, in Pontiac. <laughs> Thank you for asking that. Um, the Pontiac Community Foundation um, is so special to me. Um, we're only a four-year-old organization. In fact, this May, we're turning four. Oh, wow. Happy we, birthday. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. And at the Pontiac Community Foundation, we really are just building a brighter future for the residents of Pontiac, Michigan. And um, we do that work uh, through our four focus areas, which are neighborhood investment, economic vitality, civic engagement, and racial equity. For our neighborhood investment, we're looking at community development, but from a more neighborhood resident focused perspective, we want to do projects that immediately impact residents, right? Mm -hmm. We're staying away from downtown development, you know, those things that yeah. don't immunity. So most of our grant making lies in the space of supporting small business owners. Uh, we have uh, the Center for Pontiac Entrepreneurship, which serves as a hub of resources for small business owners, um, education programs, access to technical assistance, um, grant funding. Um, and then we support Pontiac nonprofits. Um, we're, a, we're a collaborative organization. We see supporting other nonprofits as part of our work. We mm. want to see the whole community, uh, you know, be a better place. Yeah. So we do not only grant making to other nonprofits, but educational opportunities. Uh, last year uh, was the second year we did what we call the Pontiac Impact Challenge, which was a crowdfunding competition amongst nonprofits. So we didn't just launch the competition and ask them to participate. We gave them the tools to do a yeah. successful crowdfunding campaign. I did uh, training sessions where and I created all this material for them, like a toolkit, so it could be really turnkey for them. And because to me, it's about teaching them the fish, right? I don't yeah. want to. I want them to be successful and be able to, you know, incorporate these tactics into their overall fundraising and just be more successful in general. So we also do civic engagement in Pontiac. We're really looking to build leadership and build the leadership culture. Um, so we're doing that by.
by providing resources to our community members about, you know, um, those who are running for different political offices, um, information about getting out the vote, um, you know, all of those great things. And then my most favorite focus area for us is racial equity, because many people don't know in our small little low income community of Pontiac that our residents have a 20 year lower life expectancy than people who live just three miles away in the affluent uh, suburban um, areas of our of wow. Southeast Michigan. So um, we're really working to identify why this is the case and see what things we can implement or support to help rectify that and, and in, in turn um, improve quality of life for Pontiac yeah. residents. Wow. Sounds like a very important mission. Yes. Uh, what inspired you to get involved with, with the foundation? Well, I was actually had the pleasure of being a founding board member for the Pontiac Community Foundation. Pontiac, Michigan is my home. Um, I'm born and raised there. So for me um, to have sort of gone out in the world and gotten all this experience working for various large nonprofit organizations all over Southeast Michigan, it was like an honor and a privilege Hmm. to be able to bring my skill set back home and uplift my own community through that work. So um, to me, it's absolute no-brainer. Yeah. Um, I also do some nonprofit consulting. Uh, my business is No Nonsense Fundraising, where I really focus on just trying to level the playing field with small nonprofits because um, I've seen through my experience so much disparity, right, in resources yeah. and, and all types of things. So um, what's fortunate for me is that most of my clients are also Pontiac nonprofits. So I'm really in a privileged position to where in my day job, my side job, and, and even in my volunteer work, everything I I do is in support of Pontiac. Yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. Uh, No nonsense fundraising. So what's the inspiration behind, uh, what's the nonsense that we need to get rid of out of fundraising? Oh my God. (laughs) There's so much nonsense, right? There's so many things that that muddy the waters. And for me, um, the nonsense is not focusing on individual donors. and I've noticed that that's the trend in most of the clients that I have. Most small nonprofits, most nonprofits that serve low-income communities or nonprofits that are led by black and brown leaders have a heavy reliance and dependence on foundation grants to, to fund their missions. But my experience in working with large, sustainable nonprofits is that 80% of their funding base is individual supporters. So my whole purpose of creating that consulting firm is to teach small nonprofits to engage individuals. Um, yeah. So that's a lot of the work I do. That's there. awesome. I, uh, prior to, to starting Fundraise, I, I was in the nonprofit space for 12 mm-hmm. years. I was, a, I was a fundraiser. And we, in the early days, of, I was one of the founders of an organization called Liberty North Korea. And we were heavily funded by one foundation. Mm-hmm. And we went back for our, you know, our annual pitch to, right. to get the funding. <laughs> and the foundation was like, hey, listen, like, if, if you can show us a pathway for decreasing sort of our gift to you know, 50% of your revenue, then we'll, we'll actually give more, mm-hmm. right? We'll double, we'll double our gift. And it was the greatest gift they could have right. ever given us because we went back and built out an individual donor program. And today it's like 90% of the organization's mm, revenue. Yes, and fantastic. so I totally agree. I love the love your approach. and I love that that foundation's approach. Yeah, I may have to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it, it pushed us to like, it become the most important thing you know, for us to, to do. On the consulting side, is there anything else on the fundraising? Like, do you get tactical with, with the organizations? Do you help develop fundraising programs? Oh, yes. I help develop fundraising plans. Um, most of my clients um, are on sort of monthly retainer. I meet with them monthly. It's really about having an accountability partner. Yeah. Because um, I don't do fundraising for them. Yeah. You know, um, 
that would be foolish. I'm teaching them to fish, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> but it's really more about holding them accountable, um, having giving them um, a thought partner, um, helping them think through some things because typically they have a lot of the things they need to be successful. They just haven't organized it or structured it or prioritized it right. Yeah. Um, like for example, I have one client who was doing this um, email communication soliciting for support and was excluding their volunteers. And I was like, why would you not? (laughs) I said, no, I'm all about not converting. I hate when people say, I'm trying to convert my volunteers to donors. But I'm like, it makes no sense that you're not asking them at all, right? So it's like this light bulb goes off for them um, just for little little things, um, you know. So um, when I can just have a conversation and it helps them raise more money or just be more thoughtful about what they're doing, um, then it's a win for me. That's awesome. I've been asking a lot of nonprofit professionals here, you know, who've been in the industry for decade plus, Mm -hmm. what are they excited about to see change Mm -hmm. in the industry over the next decade? Any thoughts around sort of things that you think just need to absolutely change? I think we um, had some banter about it before we got started here today. And it's really, for me, the donor-centric model um, needs to be, like, reimagined. Just buried. Um, Just buried in the ground, right? (laughs) Yeah. And, and you know, it's not because I don't want people to be donor-centric. You just have to look at that differently. And I think the way we say... The messages we put out, um, how we are sort of um, lifting up and um, putting the onus, or not the onus, but the spotlight on donors, I think is is wrong. And yeah. uh, and for me, it's wrong because we need to be prioritizing communities, right? So it's not that we don't want the donors to to support or that they, their support is not important to us, but we need to be talking about it in a way that reflects the wholeness, the, yeah. the community of support that it takes to Uh, run these programs or to, um, you know, do different initiatives. And for me, um, this whole shift to a more of a community-centric model can help us stop perpetuating the injustices that nonprofits, some like nonprofits were created to eliminate these issues, right? Where when we look at them in these ways, a lot of times they're perpetuating the same systemic issues that we're trying to eliminate, right? So we, um, for me, the shift to community-centric fundraising takes the focus off the donor and puts the focus on your community. Yeah. And I think that's really where we need to shift in nonprofits to to help be more yeah. successful. I don't know when, when it happened, but like we we like took gratitude, like showing gratitude to donors, and instead you know put them as like the center of the like, story mm-hmm. and thinking that that was like showing gratitude you know being yeah. thankful because that's all we've been taught yeah exactly yeah. it's like any anything that's printed or any book that anybody has wrote or all of the experts that we've sort of admired over yeah. the years that, that that's the model they teach it's yeah. relationship-based donor-centric fundraising i love the relationship-based part yeah. of it but to me it's about and it's been working well for me and my organization just having real transparent conversations about the needs of my community. Yeah. In fact, it's led to unrestricted major gifts. Who would have thunk that? Yeah. Right? But that's because of the trust and, and because I'm being transparent and talking about the need. And when you do that, the donor is like, well, I want you to take this money and do what you need to yeah. do with it, right? So yeah. that's how you, to me, it's a part of building trust and it's a, a necessary step we have to Absolutely. take. Absolutely. I'd love to we'd do a longer episode on, on this very topic because mm-hmm. I think we can go really deep on it and hopefully get more awareness. Oh, I'd love to chat today. further. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I don't want to take too much more of your time, so we're going to go on to this, some rapid-fire okay, questions let's to, do it. to end it. So 
movies or series? Series. Series. What's what's your? Uh, are you currently binging or have oh a favorite God. series? I think I watched all of Ozarks. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like stalked the the last of the yeah. seven episodes. Yeah. And then I watched probably Bridgerton. Okay. In one sitting, like Bridgerton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Season two. You watched season oh, two. I watched yeah. both. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It didn't take me long to get through either one. <laughs> uh, Severance. If you like Ozark, because you know Ozark's kind of dark oh, and like heavy. God. I know, right? Severance, and then Bridgerton. Yeah. <laughs> helps balance it out a little bit, yeah. right? Oh, that's funny. Okay, tacos or cheeseburgers? Tacos. 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 Like, do you have do you have a preference oh of like God. what which protein? Well, we do ground turkey ground at turkey. my house. Okay. Um, we don't do a lot of ground beef, but okay. tacos go over very, very well. We, yeah. we have to have them at least once a week. At least on house. Tuesdays, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, beach or the mountains? Beach. Beach. Oh, yeah. of course. No brainer. Digital reading or an actual book? An actual book. Hardcover or softcover? Hardcover. Hardcover, mm-hmm. me too. Right yeah. now I'm reading the autobi- the uh, Finding Me, Viola Davis. Oh, uh, how is it? Yeah, it's, I can't, I tried to read it on the plane. Uh-huh. Tears were rolling down my face. I was like, I have to read this in private. I can't read this on the plane. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, her story is so touching. Uh, mm-hmm. um, football or football? Football. Football. Okay. Yes. What's your team? Uh, the Lions. The Lions, uh, <laughs> yeah. Even though they're the losers, but they're going to come back. They're going to come back. I'm yeah. still a super fan. I don't care how bad they are. <laughs> <laughs> you go put, maybe go put a bet on them here. Maybe that'll help them out. Um, all right, last one. Moana or Aladdin? Aladdin. Aladdin, okay. Yeah. The original or the um, the, the, in, the real, what is it? What's that called? I don't know. I'd have to say the original. Okay, the original? Yeah. 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 I probably haven't seen the other version. Okay. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again, Summer, so much for joining us. Thank I appreciate you. it and enjoy the rest of the conference and good luck on your pitch. Thank you. I appreciate this. In our final segment, Jarrett Ransom, aka the nonprofit nerd, gives her take on embracing and adopting disruption as a natural move toward nonprofit progress. Jared, welcome to the back to the podcast, I should say. How are you doing? Hey, thank you. I am great. Uh, it's always good to be here with you. It's great to be back in person. Yes. Um, is, I assume you've been to conferences. This isn't your first in person, is it? Or is it? It is. It is. I mean, not in my whole age of existence, <laughs> but in the last two years. Yeah. I have done, I, I you know host, MC, speak. Um, so I've done some of that in smaller groups, okay. um, but not anything of this magnitude. Yeah, yeah. So what's, uh, what's your big takeaway from uh, this year's AFP? You know, I'm also a first timer, so I've not okay. done the AFP icon. Um, next year I hear it's going to be in New Orleans, so yeah. I'll see you there. Um, it's been great. I love the energy. I love the, the buzz, the vibration. You can feel it in the showroom. You know, the doors open at 9. Yeah. So really just seeing people, as you said, like in real life, like, oh, my gosh, is this virtual reality? Um, it's just been really cool to connect, reconnect, and uh, and see the advancements on the floor. Yeah, absolutely. So one one of uh, I want to spend a couple minutes talking about disruption. Okay. One of the things, and I don't want this to like sound negative. Uh, it might sound negative, and if it does, it it is, uh, or whatever. Being here, there's lots lots of great things happening. Lots of great speakers, yeah. phenomenal speakers. But I don't know. I just have this sense that like we need to like take the next step in in this industry moving forward in yeah. more innovative ways because I mean organization the organizations here 
are solving the most important problems facing humanity today, like the yeah. biggest challenges. And I feel like we've just been stuck, right? Like the pie hasn't really grown that much, yeah. uh, incremental for sure, but not not significantly. Um, so I don't know any any like thoughts around disruption, anything that you're thinking about in, yeah. in, in that space. You're love preaching to, to the choir, Justin. <laughs> I love it. I love disruption. I love innovation. You know, for me, disruption um, isn't negative. I, I feel like it has a negative connotation. Yeah. So if you get too negative, I'll just start calling you negative Nancy. <laughs> um, but I think we're good. I do think that you're right. We're not taking it as far as we could, and maybe as far as we should. Yeah. You know, I see technology advancing all around us, and the sector, the nonprofit sector, in particular is slow to adopt and maybe that's what you're referring to we've talked a little bit at this conference about AI yeah. artificial intelligence uh, which sounds scary right it's like well what is that is that big brother you know what what exactly is that where are these data points coming from I agree wholeheartedly and I like to push the envelope regardless of the conversation yeah so really pushing the envelope to say okay what is next and why the hell are we not doing it yeah Something that actually something we've been experimenting with at, at Fundraise is a combination of machine learning and, and AI around sort of like the ask string on a, on a giving form. Yes. And you know what what we've we've analyzed you know millions of transactions and have created a model based on sort of like an individual's IP address, an individual's uh, device that they're on, whether it's mobile, an Apple, Macintosh, yeah. you know, all these things that are, are very easily knowable and need to know uh, from, a, from a platform perspective. And there's lots of similarities in the type of device a user has, for instance, and the type of gift that they would make. Yeah. Uh, and adjusting the ask string accordingly so that they don't give too little or give too, or get scared by you know too big of an ask sure. amount. But it's, it's been interesting, like nonprofits run into you know, fear of that not being something nonprofits should do, right? Even though like, I mean, e-commerce has been doing this for, for years. Oh yeah. Right, and so that, that's like the sort of like attitude I wanna I want us to, as a community, get rid of. We If we want to scale, if we want to grow, we have to push the envelope on, yeah. on you know, that's a small example, but things things like, like that. Yeah, no, I agree. We have to, you know, even back in 2020, so many organizations hit the pause button. So many organizations were not comfortable asking, why do people give? Because they're asked. Yeah. So we have to ask. We have to ask a certain amount. We have to tell them where it's going, how it's helping the organization, helping the community. I'm also a huge proponent for, you know, that sustainable donor group. So maybe a monthly donor um, and maybe even going back to that monthly donor group to say, hey, might you consider an additional gift this month? Right. Yeah. And that is something that might be seven dollars it might be 25 dollars but those incremental ask and donations adding up we know this right yeah makes a huge amount yeah so absolutely. so why not do that what's yeah. what is stopping us yeah i i mean i think status quo that's the i think the biggest yeah. the biggest sort of like you know uh, competitor enemy to sort of innovation is status, status quo. quo we get comfortable um, and we maybe even see like positive results, but are they the best results? Yeah. And I think, you know, there's uh, non nonprofits aren't afforded enough opportunity to really kind of risk it and to right. go for bigger results. I wish that I knew uh, this woman's name. She was, she was a staff at Google, maybe even an executive, and she made a really big mistake, very costly mistake. <laughs> and her supervisor said, that's okay. You learn from it. Yeah. Whoa, like mind blown. Imagine if we, the nonprofits, had the ability to afford to take risk and make mistakes yeah. and to learn from it, right? Yep. And so it really is about, okay, let's do 
take it to the next level. Let's not settle for status quo. Yeah. Is our community, like, do they deserve status quo? No. Our constituents deserve status quo? No. So what is holding us back? Yeah. That's a good question. I think it's just the, the fear of failing. And, you know, it's, there's like a famous story at Facebook where uh, you know, Facebook used to have operate under like move fast break things. Yeah. And uh, there was like a, a junior engineer that just came first day on the job, you know, was like took that to heart and was building and they would like deploy uh, daily uh, to, to the platform. Engineer took down the platform. First time Facebook ever went down in its history. Yes. And, you know, the individual was freaked out, thought that, that he was going to be fired right away for, for it. But instead it caused, you know, Facebook to actually look at why did this happen, right? What, what, because it's problematic. It, it, it was yeah. inevitable this was going to happen soon. And this uncovered, you know, something that was very problematic yeah. in, the, in the code base. And they're able to fix it, move on, and continue developing. And I think that's sort of the, the mentality we need is uh, maybe not like necessarily break things, but we got to move fast and we need to try things. And if we fail, we fail, but we got to move on from, from there. You know, it's funny you say that we have to move fast because I've caught myself saying, hurry up and wait. Huh. Like that has become a motto, a mantra, I believe, in the nonprofit sector. When I talk to other consultants, you know, in the work that we do nationally, it's, oh, yeah, I sent in this proposal or, oh, yeah, I talked to this board member and I still haven't heard from them and it's been 30 days. Hmm. So if we're waiting to take any action, we are waiting to fail, I feel, yeah. right? Like we're really, so how do we move faster? How do we, you know, take these risks, take these opportunities when they present themselves, regardless, it could be literally signing up with a client or taking down the website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think like, like an easy like step and it's easier, easier said than done is removing the bureaucracy that, that exists in so many organizations. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think where a lot of things where a lot of things die, go to die, is the board. Um, you know, and I think that we need to really rethink the way that the board operates. Like they're, they're, they're fiduciaries to the organization, uh, but they should not be slowing it down. And I just see that time and time again. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, that's, that's an area. And, and the bigger you get, it's harder, right? You need process, you need to operationalize things yeah. for sure. But the thing that I'm interested in, even with my, with my own business, as we scale and grow, is how do we never lose what I call the startup edge where yeah. like the agile nimble, we can move fast. We can change, we can change our minds. It's okay to change our minds. Uh, and, and, and which kind of, kind of coincides with this, but it's a, it maybe a little bit of a rabble is this idea that like the best idea wins, right? Yeah. Like it's not like the most senior person in the, in the room. It's not maybe even like the, the domain expert in, in the room. Right. It's literally the best idea. The right? best idea. Well, I love that. I truly do because to stay nimble, to stay agile, I feel that those organizations that did that over these last three years are the ones coming ahead, mm. right? Like they are sprinting across the finish line, yeah. which doesn't exist yet. We're still sprinting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think those, again, that press the pause button and said, we're going to sit this one out, they're losing, right? Yeah. They're getting lapped by the people that are out there sprinting. And we do have to stay agile. What does that look like? Like, I also think, you know, the bureaucracies, you mentioned that there's this great book. Again, I cannot think of anything off the cuff, but it's delegate decisions up yeah. to a certain amount, right? It could be a dollar amount, a decision, whatever that looks like. Allow your staff, allow your executives, allow anyone to make that decision immediately off the cuff, knowing that is in alignment with whatever has previously been designed. Yeah. And I think once we do that, we trust our team, we trust ourselves, trust our board. We're able to take faster steps forward. Totally. Totally agree with that. 
Shifting a little bit, uh, okay. what are you uh, most excited about? Whether it's project, campaign, new client uh, yeah. for the rest of 2022? Oh my gosh. So I started my business, lucky 13. I'm in 13 years. Oh, wow. um, so 13 Congrats. years ago, 2009, thank you. So I'm a teenager, right? I have, I have some breakouts. I have some <laughs> moodiness trying to figure out who it is that I want to be. Um, so one of the things I'm launching this year, brand new, because I started my business, The Raven Group, I'm also known as the nonprofit nerd, as a grant writing consultant. That's oh, sure. really okay. what was needed in 2009, yeah. really needed now, grant writing. I don't love it, which is interesting, right? I'm saying I don't love it, but I love coaching, training, and teaching other people how to do it. So okay. I have started the grant writing business program, and I'm teaching other people, in particular women like myself, to become you know, part of their community, submit grants, start, build, scale their own grant writing business specifically for nonprofits. So oh, nonprofitnerdschool.com. I'm going to help you get to six figures if you want to do that. Yeah. There are so many dollars out there to be awarded to nonprofits. And yeah. there are so many organizations seeking professional grant writers. So that's what I'm nerding out on. That's awesome. And what was, the, yeah. what was the, the inspiration to start that this year? Yeah. So my inspiration, honestly, is, you know, as we look at this great reshuffle, great recession, great resonation, whatever that looks like, I look always uh, into my future. I want to retire at the age of 50. And I will tell you, I have seven years to do that. You can do the math. You yeah. can do the math. <laughs> so in seven years, right, I really want to, to retire, live a nomadic life. I have this huge desire. You know, it used to be taboo to say, oh, I live down by the lake, you know, yeah. on in a van. That's my dream. That's my like retirement. So for me, I really want to empower other women. I want to teach them how to start building scale a business like I have. Ten years ago, I was on food stamps, um, going to food banks, you know, being the recipient of our community resources. Now I'm, you know, thriving in a six figure business. So I want to teach other people how to do that. I just got back from Cabo San Lucas with my son for spring oh, nice. break. So these are the opportunities. I am so passionate about teaching other women how to do that. Yes, I accept men if that's, you know, <laughs> who is attracted and wants to do this as well. But I'm super passionate about, you know, the nonprofit sector and yeah. really about nerding out. Well, it's very exciting. I mean, I'm excited Thank to you. kind of follow along and, and yeah. see how it goes. What was your favorite thing in Cabo? I, we love Cabo. I go there every summer. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, we're going to have to yeah. make that happen and, and connect. My favorite thing in Cabo, God, there are so many places. Well, we stayed at, it used to be the Welk Resort, which okay. is beautiful. Um, there's so the food, you know, mm. like the tacos. I yeah. live in Phoenix, so okay. we get a lot of tacos anyway. Yeah. We of course did the arch, you know, we did yeah. that beautiful tour. Did you get the office? Yes, <laughs> of the office. It is a of riot, right? <laughs> yes, it is fun. Yeah. yeah, they're expensive margaritas, but they're worth it. We were um, when we were actually we we're just there in February, and okay. I was with our family. I have four kids and a couple other families as well. And we were sitting nice. out, out there on the beach. And did the Rambo guy come up to you with, with the tequila shots? No. So he comes up to our table. He's like fully dressed like Rambo. He's got the bandana on and everything. Wow. And he comes behind me and he grabs my head, pulls it down. He's about to pour a shot in. And my daughter across from me, she's seven. She just freaks out and starts like bawling and crying. No. The whole restaurant like looks at us. It was, it was so embarrassing. It was so funny. But though. did you take the shot? I took the shot. Uh, yeah, I took the shot. Yes. I had to take the shot. You got it. And then he the and then he went up to her and gave her a, a lemon juice shot. It was it was so funny. Oh, that's so great. Funny. To let her know like it's safe. Yeah, Daddy's it's fine. fine. Yeah, not gonna hurt him. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. All right, let's do some rapid fire questions as we wrap this up. Uh, there's no wrong or right answer. 
Good. So, movies or series? Oh, series. What Are you actually watching or binging a series? Right now, I don't think I am, but I... Shameless, that's a good one. Shameless, on okay. On Netflix. On Netflix, yeah. okay. okay. It, is, it's, it makes you feel really good about your life. Nice. <laughs> I, I, can, I can use that. I can use that. I'm currently watching uh, Severance, and oh. it, it really... It's very dark. It's okay. very dark. So maybe I need to. Would you recommend it? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 like it's 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 an amazing. And where show. would I find it? I think it's HBO. Okay. Yeah. Severance. Yeah. Severance. Tacos or cheeseburgers? Tacos. Tacos. Hello, yeah. Cabo. Yeah. There you Phoenix. go. Uh, beach or the mountains? Mountains. 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 Okay. Yeah. You like you like the cold? More I than... you know I just love nature. Okay. I love nature. I just bought a condo in Park City, Utah. Oh, I was just there last week. Oh my gosh. Well, next oh, time, amazing. let me host you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be spending my summers there. Oh, very cool. Very yeah. cool. We were there. It was like, it snowed the, like, the last few days. It's we were snowing there. today or Are you yesterday. Serious? Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. Ice cream or Froyo? Ice cream. Ice cream. Rocky Road. Ro- oh, we're like the same. That is my favorite <laughs> ice cream, too. That's amazing. Uh, football or football? Uh, football. Football. Okay, yeah. so soccer. Yeah. Always or, soccer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was a competitive soccer player, actually. Oh, no way. Yeah, defense. Okay. Nice. Sweeper. Nice. All right, last one. Moana or Aladdin? Oh, Aladdin. Aladdin, okay. Yeah, I like Aladdin. Yeah? Especially the monkey. The mo- uh, what's his name again? Abu? Abu. Abu, Abu yeah. yeah. Good yeah. job. You two have kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Four of them. Too many. No, Four. Just <laughs> yeah. Four too many. Awesome. Well, Jared, thank you so much for stopping by. This was fun as always and enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Fundraise, nonprofit fundraising software built by nonprofit people. If you'd like to continue the conversation, find me on LinkedIn or text me at 562-242-8160. And don't forget to get your next episode the second it hits the internets. Go to nonstopnonprofitpodcast.com and sign up for email notifications today. See you next time.